This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. We are recording on Sunday evening, which means the World Cup has just finished. Lionel Messi has just lifted the trophy in Qatar, and it means we can all go back to concentrating on the single most important thing, which is, of course, the EFL Championship. And at the moment, Pete, it is an EFL Championship which West Bromwich Albion are performing very, very very well in. And if you'd said to us, probably start of November, maybe, uh, well, maybe a bit before that, maybe sort of like, uh, yeah, to be honest, first of November was when we beat, um, uh, was when we beat Blackpool, I think it was. If you'd gone back to then and told us that we would be talking in these kind of glowing terms about a West Bromwich Albion team, I think you'd have, you'd have said we got rose tinted glasses on that, that, that it was fan eyes that we were looking through because, no, nobody saw this coming, but now it feels par for the course. We talked uh, on in on the last pod about how whilst we even when we were losing to Sunderland, we felt relatively comfortable. Well, if we felt reasonably comfortable and confident in this team against Sunderland, we were practically feet up, slippers on on Saturday, weren't we? Because that was. That was about as dominant and as comfortable an Albion performance as I can probably remember in the recent past. Yeah, we were very comfortable. Um, kind of just controlled the game. Rotherham looked pretty poor, to be honest, which obviously helped. Um, but Corbran seemed to have got the setup perfect, seemed to have done his research. Um, you know, we built, used the wide areas really well to move up the pitch, um, quickly shifted it across from side to side and we're kind of patient in that um, but obviously we kind of had overloads on in the wide areas against their wing backs so if we move the ball across quickly across our back line we could kind of use those overloads to get forward and then create chances um, 
But even out of possession, you know, the possession figures are fairly even, but out of possession, we we looked comfortable. Rotherham didn't really look a threat. I think they had two shots. Um, and, it, yeah, it just seemed to be a very, very good performance from Albion. Uh, and I agree. I mean, uh, going back to something you just said earlier on there, Pete, I, th- I think that um, Rotherham are one of the poorer sides. I, 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 n- n- no no disrespect to Rotherham, although I very much doubt many Rotherham fans are sitting down to listen to a podcast called Albion Analysis, um, because why they'd want to relive Saturday, I do not know. But if they are, no offence to any Rotherham fans. However, uh, you know, I, I, I think if you're not in the mix for relegation, I will be very, very surprised. So you do have to caveat that in slightly with that performance and say that that is one of the poorest sides that we will face this season. That having been said, I think that when we face Blackpool, um, I, I think they, they're a team that are going to probably have a pretty difficult season, all things considered. I think as well, we went away to Huddersfield, who I think are another team. If If, if you're asking me to plump for teams that I think will be Probably somewhere. Get, name three teams that will be in the bottom five. They would. I, I would definitely have Rotherham, Blackpool, and Huddersfield on that list. And yet, against Blackpool and against Huddersfield, we struggled in large parts of the game. We dominated the game against Blackpool, but couldn't break them down, and it needed a set piece and a break of the ball to do it. And against Huddersfield, we were so off it early on in the game that we went two 0 down. So whilst we played a poorer team. It has not been a given this season that we've dominated these games. And yet we seem to have such a level of control. Yet that control is not born out of possession of the football. Because you, it, I sat there and watched the whole 90 minutes in the Birmingham Road end, as I always do. And it felt like we had all the ball, Pete. And yet I've just gone to do research for this pod. And we had 50.1% possession to their 49.9% possession. So clearly, Corbrand's dominance of games, Corbrand's Albion's dominance of games, is not born out of having the ball, but it's about what we do with the ball. And teams just seem to pass, 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 pass in front of us and just can't really find a way through because we're so organised. I mean, Rotherham had two shots in the whole game, only one of which was on target. And I don't remember Palmer having... Palmer had to come out and smother a through ball that was about the most work I remember him having to do in the whole game. And then at the other end, we, we do stuff with the ball. So we only have 50.1% possession, yet we have 16 shots on goal, nine on target. It just goes to show, because we talked some weeks about weeks ago about how we felt Bruce's Albion had a lot of pointless possession. We had a lot of ball, but didn't do a great deal with it. We're almost the opposite of that, not to the extreme extent, not to the extent like Leicester when they won the league of having 30, 35% possession in pretty much every game. But, you know, we have the same as a team that I would happily label relegation fodder. We have the same possession as them, yet we boss the football match because of what we do with the ball and what we don't allow them to do when they have it. Yeah, and some teams like to control the game through possession and kind of use that as a defensive mechanism. But our shape out of possession means that we can not have the ball and still be um, pretty confident that we're not going to concede and we're not going to let them have many good chances. So that's that's down to the shape and the um, organisation of the, the back line and the midfield in front of it. And despite kind of losing one of the deeper midfielders, we kind of play with Yukushla on his own, just in front of the back four, rather than having two players in front of the back four like we started against... Um, Sunderland 
we still looked solid with it, and at no point was I really worried that Rotherham were going to threaten our goal. No, and I want to talk about that a little bit, because whilst on paper the formation looked the same, it looked like effectively Swift in, uh, into a deeper role instead of Malumbi, Rogic into, into Swift's role uh, was kind of like the only major changes, and obviously DK and Brandon Thomas Asante effectively a straight swap. In practice, it was a completely different formation, wasn't it? Because you look at the average positions, he's obviously he's pushed Furlong much, much higher, which um, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a little bit more depth later. Because I actually want to give a lot of credit to Darnell Furlong for his performance on Saturday. But then you look at the positions of the midfielders, and as you say, Yukoslu sits just in front of that back four and just screens. And I thought he was outstanding, by the way. But then Swift, who seemingly has gone into the Malumbi role, really hasn't. Because Malumbi against Sunderland just sits alongside Yokoslu and it's like it's a double screen, effectively, in front of that back four. Whereas Swift was, when you look at the average position data, as high as Rogic, who, again, we'll come on to talk to in, we'll talk about in a minute because I thought he was brilliant. Um, there's quite a few Albion players I was quite pleased with on Saturday. You may, you may be able to tell. But... What I'm, the point I'm I'm getting towards is it just goes to show Corbran's ability to make very minor changes in personnel, two, namely, and one of them was a straight swap at centre forward and didn't really alter our formation in any real way. So effectively, he's made one real obvious change, but com- in doing that has completely altered the way we approach the game. And we have gone from a back foot team, which we were against Sunderland to sort of like clearly with the ideal that in the last half an hour, we'd, we'd have a real good go, uh, go at this game. Obviously the plan was to keep it nil, nil rather than one nil down, but obviously Corbrand wasn't too bothered about being one nil down in that game up until the, at uh, the hour mark where he wanted to have a go at it. Whereas against Rotherham, it was completely different. It was, Let's go and beat these as early as we possibly could. And uh, and it was noticeable as well that the changes came a touch earlier as well, that we didn't start the second half terribly well. And I think Corbran wanted us to go out and blow them away first 10 minutes of the second half. And when that didn't happen, straight away, on comes Grady, on comes Brandon. And it's like the, the, the intent from Corbran is clear in games, but he doesn't feel the need to go out and win every game in the first half an hour. I think that's what he wanted to do on Saturday. It didn't quite happen. And then his changes won him the game around 55 minutes. But against Sunderland, it was, we will win this game in the last 20, 30 minutes of the game. And I just think it's that tactical nuance, Pete, that that I love with him. I, I love that there is not a one size fits all approach to how he goes about football matches. It just looks like there's a lot of work that's done pre-game to analyse the opposition and then it's kind of set up your team for who you're playing and against Sunderland, who I'd say are a better side than Rotherham, it's kind of maybe sitting a bit deeper and see what we can get maybe from a set well, piece. And or... a fitter side in the sense that they played the week before as well and that's that, that's got to be a factor in probably expectation that they would start quickly. Exactly, so we kind of want to be solid from the start and, and then see what we could get later on uh, we might have settled for a draw if gone for nil nil for most of the game um again well we might have pushed for a win later on who knows but the way that happened meant they had to change a bit earlier than um probably initially anticipated um but then against Rotherham I think he saw it was a weaker side saw 
what the weaknesses were and the weaknesses in the shape. I mentioned earlier the wide areas we made a lot of use of um, and then kind of attacked them in that way and set up the team, put the starting lineup as a more um, attacking team with what you'd probably say a little bit less defensive stability, losing one of those deeper midfielders for um, to bring Rogic and Swift in as two kind of attacking midfielders and then go, the, go at them a bit more and Again, his changes worked perfectly. Uh, Thomas Santi and Diangana came on. And I think by the end of the game, they both had racked up the two highest um, amounts of expected goals, even without Thomas Santi's penalty and rebound. So. Well, and shots as well. I mean, uh, Brandon's only been on the pitch, um, what, 35 minutes. And he's uh, he's had, um, uh, I think it's four shots, three on target, which was the most in our team, which is incredible. Yeah, and- Good chances as well. I mean, obviously, you can kind of take away the penalty and the rebound that came from that. But there was the—I remember the one that I think it was Furlong crossed it in, and he kind of had to really reach the onto the end that of it. That is and, an insane save by their goalkeeper, who we will also come on to talk about in a little bit. Yeah, brilliant save. Um, I just when I saw it coming in, I thought he's no way that that doesn't go in, just because. Everything that the way it shaped up, it looked like it had to go in, but it was, yeah, like you say, a great save. And he made quite a few good saves. Um, the, yeah, back to the substitutions, they, especially Thomas Sante and Diangana, they came on and made a, made a massive difference. Um, I mean, Diangana made the difference straight away, didn't he? Yeah, first touch. And I mean, let's, let's put it simply, Pete, two games in which two substitutes have scored goals in a row. We've uh, the last two games he's brought on two substitutes and they've scored. Yeah, and I mean that's that's obviously very promising because it well it certainly looks like the manager knows what he's doing and I don't think anyone could argue that he doesn't. Based does on it sell it to the players as well a little bit, Pete? In the in the, you know normally uh, you know I've worked with players long enough to know that players are not happy when they're not starting football matches, but maybe if they're seeing that they are they're coming on early enough, like fifty five minutes to really impact games, and then they are impacting games. Whilst they're still not going to be happy about not starting games, because I don't know a footballer that would be happy not starting a football match, they're probably going to be less unhappy, if that's a better way of putting it, if they can see that they are being brought on with plenty of time to impact games and actually going and impacting games. Is he? I think the, the point I'm driving at is, is he going to keep more of the squad happy with this? If he, Rather than throwing players on with 10, 11... Because I felt Bruce uh, sometimes made his change, changes so late. Um, whereas Corbran is effectively saying, yeah, okay, Brandon Grady, you are on the bench, but you're coming on on in the 55th minute, maybe maybe latest the hour. Same with Rogic and DK against uh, against Sunderland. You are going to have proper time to get into this game and impact this game. Those players are more likely to buy into that that project and that way of doing things than if they're being given 10, 15 minutes at the end of a football match. Well, I spoke about it last week about quite often managers leave the first substitutes too late because they're too reluctant to maybe admit that they've got something wrong and kind of want to stick with that starting 11 but it doesn't seem the way we call Ranny seems to like to make the change relatively early and um, as you say those changes have definitely proved to be good changes and they've impacted the game and results of, of the games that we've played in so that's very promising and 
I'd say you're probably right that it keeps more players on board because, like you say, they know they're going to get more time and show what they're worth by having that time to impact the game. Um, I mean, the only worry is that having so many players coming off the bench and impacting the game, it gives you a bit of a headache as the manager for the for the selection for the next game. Obviously, Thomas but, but Asante. does it? But does it? Does he care? Because I just I just think that Corbrand's approach is so analytical. Because I honestly think, I think Malumbi and Yukoslu will start as the midfield two against Coventry because he will look at O'Hare and Hamer and he will go, I want to win the midfield battle first and foremost. I just think he, he he's so analytical that he almost it, it tunes out the previous performance and actually just looks at the opposition and goes, what is the best way to win this team? Uh, sorry, what is the best way to beat this team? What is the, wh- what is the best 11 to get the best result for West Bromwich Albion? He doesn't, and doesn't care about much else. Yeah, I agree with that. But the trouble is that I can't imagine a lot of the players are similarly minded and they're not thinking purely about the results. They obviously want to play themselves. So, at some point, you need to keep them happy. And if they're all coming off the bench and scoring, then that's why I think it might give you a headache. But if they are getting plenty of time coming on early um, and then impacting the game, then I don't think there'll be too many complaints. Well, the um, other thing is, if he's constantly rotating his starting eleven, like Brandon started against Sunderland, DK started um, at the weekend, Rogic came off the bench against Sunderland, he starts he starts at the uh, at the weekend, Malumbi shifted uh, to the bench. It might be, you know, Grady might get a start. Um, in fact, will almost certainly get a start at some point over the Christmas period. Players are less likely to moan then as well if they are actually being given starts you know, maybe one game in every three rather than, again, I'm not trying to get at Steve Bruce because Bruce has gone and we move on. But one of the big issues that I had was that he, I felt like he went to the well again and again and again with the same starting 11. And I don't, I don't anticipate seeing that from, um, from, uh, from Carlos Corbran. As we said, as we said last week, Pete, I think the only player who is guaranteed his starting shirt at the moment is Jed Wallace because he's indispensable. And out of the outfield players, Palmer's not going to get dropped either because Button's so bad. But uh, but out of the outfield players, I think the only one that's indispensable is Wallace. Yeah, and not only just because Button's bad, but Palmer's also been very good. Got to give him credit for that. And I know you think the same. Um, but yeah, I kind of agree with that, that Corbran seems to realise that we have got um, a very good squad for this level whether it's balanced or not is a different question but the individual talents in the squads that level of talent is very high um and we kind of are able to you know change the starting 11 from week to week and still have a high high level of performance from the squad it's just about getting the right players in the team together to to keep it balanced and it's usually a very busy period um i think it gets a bit busier in the new year, because um, obviously the World Cup's kind of got rid of a bit of the fixture congestion of December, but at some point fixtures are going to pile up and we're going to have lots of games to play in a short space of time. Um, and that's when we need to be able to rotate the squad and keep players uh, fit for each game, not have them start three games in a week because that's when the level of performance is going to drop off. So it's important that you can can use the the whole squad and not just stick to one starting 11. Let's talk about a few individual players, Pete. And I want to start off with that screening midfielder because Yukoslu was the one chosen to do that role. And I think Yukoslu and Malumbi have a lot of similar strengths. Um, But what 
Yokosalu probably has over Malumbi is just this this calmness, this strength on the ball, the way he shrugs players off is just is just unbelievable. And I thought we saw that in abundance on Saturday. And what also sprung out of the data for me, and I know we've highlighted this before, but it's worth reiterating it, is eight aerials won. That's more than both our centre-halves combined. I mean, the guy is just he is a physical aerial presence in the middle of the uh, middle of that park and he allows you to go a little bit longer out from the goalkeeper but also if they if they we can press them and force them to go long he generally wins it doesn't he the guy is just such a physical specimen that i don't think i don't think you necessarily see somebody quite uh, i mean i'm not saying he's particularly fast but he's mobile and he's quite lithe in the way that he moves you don't generally see that in the championship. It's, you know, these are, these, these are, these are the sorts of players you see in the Premier League rather than in the championship, aren't they? He's got his drawbacks as well. And you and I both, uh, both, um, he, he scares us both a little bit. I think when, when he tries, um, one of his little, uh, little Hollywood passes, like, like he did a square ball against Sunderland and uh, nearly cost us a goal. And he has definitely got that in him. And I think he needs to iron that out of his game. But in terms of physicality, what he gives us in the middle of the park is unbelievable. Yeah, I think he might just not be quite as good a pass as he thinks he is, but he kept it more simple against Rotherham. Yeah, um, although I was saying that to the guy who sits in front of me, and just at the moment I was saying that to him, he pinged this crossfield ball that was just absolutely on the money. It was like he could hear me hear me saying that about him. He absolutely mugged me off a tree at the moment I was saying that in the stands. Yeah, and to be fair to him, some of them do come off, but I think he tries it a bit more often than I'd like him to, but Against Rotherham, he kept it a bit more simple, and and I think we benefit from it as a team. Um, you talk about his headers; he's obviously very good in the air. But if you look at the location of the headers, a lot of them are kind of on our left side. Um, and I didn't particularly notice in the game; it's just from looking at the day afterwards. But I wonder if it's kind of um, it was designed that way so that he could protect Townsend in the air. Obviously, Furlong's very good in the air. Well, and Peters. As well, uh, as well, Pete, because uh, because Peters isn't the most aerially dominant. I mean, he's not a centre half, is he? He's a fullback. Yeah, but just if they're trying to hit wide areas, obviously Furlong can hold his own in the air. He's very strong in the air. Townsend not so much. So I wonder if it's just a form of protection to stop them from trying to maybe expose one of our weaknesses. Yeah, and um, and I thought Townsend looked much better with. So uh, again, it might be it might be a simple fact of um, Corbran identifying an issue and solving it because Townsend was undoubtedly a weak link against Sunderland. Not entirely his fault because I don't think he's going to come up against a player like Diallo every week. I, I don't, the, the, the guy plain and simply should not be in the championship. He's a Premier League footballer. You can see he's on loan from a Premier League club. He's, he's an unbelievable talent. And he, you know, a bit like when Harvey Barnes was on loan at us, you, you know, you just every now and then you get a player in the championship who just should not be there. And I think that's what he is. Um, so, uh, whilst Townsend had a poor game against, uh, against Sunderland, I don't entirely blame him. Um, but he looked so much better against Rotherham and moving across the other side, the other fullback position, the other one player that I thought not only had a much better game, against Rotherham but actually had one of his best games for a while was was Darnell Furlong and he was asked to play by 
Corbrand, much higher up. He was he was much more advanced. And when you actually go to go to look at the the data around him, um, he was he was he was really he was really really offensive, and he actually uh, he actually had um quite a quite a lot of um he had he had most accurate crosses two two key passes which was the equal most two completed dribbles which was the uh, which was the equal most i mean is it the simple thing here with darnell furlong is he just a better as a more advanced fullback than he is probably sitting in and and defending a bit deeper yeah he, he was very good against rotherham um Corbrand's tactics um and rotherham set up kind of helped him perform that well because there was a bit more space, especially when he was combining with Wallace to get down that wing. Not only was he good in the, the metrics you just mentioned, he was a, our second highest in terms of expected threat, um, probably from his crosses. They're always high value. Um, but also in his ball progression, he moved it forward nicely. Um, got forward well. You know, that cross to Tom Santa was a, a brilliant cross and unlucky to not have an, an assist from that. Um, but I think he is he's definitely useful going forward. Um I think he's he's a decent defender, um, but I think yeah he's he's very useful going forward as well. So especially when he's combining with Jed Wallace, um, and it's it's always useful to be playing with someone that's so good, like basically next year to be able to combine with him and you know play balls down the line to him and, and vice versa. It makes it a lot easier. So I think when we are attacking down the right, it, I mean Furlong definitely is important in that and is very useful in that. So. I think overall he is a decent, a good championship for Sometimes he does seem to be a bit of a scapegoat. He is where he's not not the best, but in general, I think he's he's good. And just on Jed Wallace, uh, I, I do want to say that I mean personally, Pete, he was my man of the match again. Um, I don't know, I don't know whether you whether you agree with that, but um, I mean, look, we we are going to have to gloss over Jed Wallace once or twice this season because. There's only so many times we can sit here and say how absolutely fantastic the bloke is because he's just brilliant every week. And if we skim by Jed Wallace a little bit, don't think it's any disrespect on his performance. It's just there's only so many times you can say the same things about Jed. He, he's just fantastic. The way he gets up and down that that line, the way he's just a constant threat, um, the way he puts ball uh, balls into the box, you know, which just constantly cause uh, cause problems. But he works so hard going the other way as well. Uh, I mean, how, uh, you know, at some point, Pete, we've, we've just kind of got to, got to almost, that it, it, it almost goes unsaid that Jed Wallace is absolutely Blooming fantastic. You know, it's kind of going to have to end up being a policy on this pod, isn't it? Absolutely. And I would agree with you. It would have been my man of the match again. Um, and he's just fantastic going forward. He, again, puts in some brilliant crosses. Um, made a great run for that, for his goal and finished it brilliantly on his weak foot as well. Uh, drilled it into the bottom corner, which a very composed finish on your weak foot, if you like. He didn't just lash out at it and hope it hit the back of the net. I'm surprised he took it took it that early as well. But like I say, great finish. Um, is always a threat with his crossing. Linked up with Furlong well. Uh, linked up with with Swift, playing those balls inside the pitch as well. Um, and and does the defensive work as well. So he's just a terrific player, all round player, um, an all round winger really, and gets goal contributions at one end and and helps back the other end as well. So I don't he's think he's just has... a brilliant bloke, mate. He's just a brilliant bloke, isn't he? Yeah, spot on. I can't say much more about him, to be honest. 
And I mean, just just one whilst whilst we're sort of talking around players. I mean, obviously, Rogic and and DK came in. Rogic, I thought was uh, was absolutely fantastic. I thought that the little bit of cleverness to lift the ball into space that that created that 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 started the move for Wallace's goal. I thought was just unbelievable skill. He's just got that little bit of devilment, just that little bit of something that X factor that again you don't see from a lot of players at this level. And I, I just, I, I think he's another one that probably doesn't, he shouldn't be playing at this level. I just think he's, I, th- I think, I think he's got things in his locker that players at championship level don't usually have. I think there's a few players we've got that are like that. I mean, it's why it's so frustrating that it's taken us till, that it took us till November to start our season, really. Um, on DK, I thought he looked good for half an hour but I have to say that the sort of like the 10-15 minutes before half time I thought he started to look look tired um I thought he he maybe maybe sort of like the the excitement and the adrenaline of um of being back in the starting lineup probably had him make runs and 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 just kind of go after everything in that first half an hour and I thought to be honest he, his his race was run fairly fairly early on um i uh, but i think it's just a fitness thing i just think it's a fitness thing with with dk i think i think i think i think he will you know we've, we look we, we all know what a quality quality player is but i just think we've probably got to manage our expectations of daryl dk at this moment in time because when, when he came off after 55 minutes i kind of uh, i kind of looked and i thought you probably could have come off at half time to be honest you 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 look tired you looked exhausted um and it's going to take him a bit of time to get back to being being a 90 minute player and it'll be interesting to see how Corbran uses him over the coming weeks will he think that dk is actually better served coming off the bench later in games because he can impact them more or will he want to get those minutes into his legs to get him back up to the level where he wants him i don't think we want to get minutes into him um but without risking any more injuries, obviously. Um, but, I mean, it's interesting. When he was at Barnsley, I'd say it's probably rare that he'd ever did more than 60 minutes. I mean, I could be completely wrong on that, but I think Ishmael, when he was at Barnsley with him, would often make three subs on the 60-minute mark and often change all three of his attackers because, again, that was a season that we did have five subs before we went back to three subs, and obviously we're now back at five. I don't know what... What his minutes were like at Orlando, whether he was regularly subbed sixty minutes or if he he did last the ninety minutes. But I mean, it'd be interesting to see. Like you say, he's just come back from a long injury, so you wouldn't have expected him to be f- fully match fit to last the the full ninety. But when he was in the first half, he did look um, like a bit of a spark. You know, you could see him trying to make runs in behind, and you could see his pace and his his strength that he's got. I think he was one part where he. Did he shrug someone off the ball and try and cut it back and but just kind of miss everyone? But it you know, it was a promising moment, you know, you saw strength and and what he offers physically. So I think we just need to get minutes back into his legs, um, get that match sharpness and um yeah, I'd, I'd be very surprised if he's he's not scoring goals in the second half of the season. Yeah, just having a quick skim through his his um, numbers on transfer mark to, uh, in the MLS and he, he did seem to generally be a 90 minute player and it probably just frustrates him a little bit that he's that he's not quite there yet but i think 
I think he will get he will get back there, and I think he's going to be a tremendous asset for us for the rest of the season. And and as and as you say, Pete, we did see in glimpses what he can what he can offer. It's just I just I just thought he ran out of steam reasonably quickly uh, on on the weekend. But that's as I say, it's not a criticism of the bloke. I mean, the the bloke's barely played for uh, for for a year. You know, it's what you'd expect. At this point, he's going to need minutes before he's back up. I think the reason I'm highlighting it is more to say, let's just manage our expectations of uh, of Daryl DK going forward. Speaking of managing expectations or managing narratives around players, I, I do want to focus in a little bit on Grady Diangana. Obviously, came on, scored with his first touch, and I had a bit of back and forth on uh, on Twitter with you know with some good guys who I who I know well and speak to regularly on 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 Twitter um you know who you know, and they're more than entitled to their opinion but I do feel there there's been for a while a false narrative building around Grady Dean Garner first of all there seems to be this false narrative and I've heard people say this on radio WM on a number of occasions he doesn't get goals and assists well, here's the facts. Grady's got three goals and three assists this season. Obviously, that was two goals, three assists before before Saturday's game. That has him third in our goal contributions chart, and he's he's not much further down if you go goal contributions per per minute. Um, as Pete's had a look at that, he drops below Brandon Thomas Asante. He would obviously drop below Rogic and DK, but then they haven't really got a large enough sample size to be fairly com- uh, considered in the data. So he is contributing goals and assists, but on top of that. He's our most most fouled player, which is important because he gets he gets you into positions where you can put balls into the box, and we have got deliverers of um, uh, of, of balls into the box. He's fourth in in key passes per game. He's got an eighty two percent pass completion rate, but also there the, the seems to be, uh, and he's third in dribbles completed, only behind Swift and Wallace. In fact, in most of these stats, the only players he's behind are Swift and Wallace, who in an offensive sense are comfortably our best performing players of the season. But also, people, there seems to be a growing narrative around Grady Diangana that he is a luxury player. I've seen that phrase used a few times. In fact, I heard it on Sky commentary um, a, a, a few weeks back as well. And it's just, it's utter, utter rubbish. The guy has won the fourth most tackles out of everybody in our squad. So he's he's ahead of a number of first choice defenders in terms of tackles won. He works really really hard. He's not a luxury player. He's also not lacking in any way shape or form in goals and assists. Could he be contributing more given his undoubted talent and extremely high ceiling of his ability? Yes, yes he could. And there's no denying that. But to say that he is underperforming to any great degree it's just, it's factually inaccurate, isn't it, Pete? Yeah, I think he's a brilliant player at this level. And, and I think he's had a pretty good season as well. And somehow almost gone under the radar. And you're talking about the numbers there, the goals and assists. If you kind of strip it back a bit and take out the, the variance of finishing and other players finishing your passes to get assists and look at the expected goals and expected assisted goals and even look at, in fact, look at non-penalty expected goals. So take away the the penalties because they're not really got much. That's just whoever takes it and do that per ninety minutes. And the only two people that are, are actually ahead of him are Alex Moat, who's played one minute for us this season. So that's just you can't take that into consideration. 
I think that's um, where we talk about too small a sample size, yeah. <laughs> precisely. And Tom Rogic, who's only played three 90s for us so far this season. So I would take him out of it as well because of the small sample size. But after that, Dean Garner's top for non-penalty expected goals plus expected assist, expected assisted goals per 90 minutes with 0.44, Swift's on 0.41 and, and Wallace is on 0.39. So if you look at that, then he's getting shots off in really good areas on a regular basis and he's um, given his teammates the opportunity to score goals with passes into good areas as well so um, the only the only reason that he may not be higher than Swift and Wallace on per night he starts is because either he's not finishing his chances or the players that he's passing it to aren't finishing their chances so yeah and that's why goals and assists are an unfair narrative anyway but I but 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 like I say the thing about that is, and because I, I, I've said that to a few people, that you can't judge somebody on assists because actually an assist relies on another player. It relies on somebody else to stick the ball in the back of the net. And let's go back to last season. And I'm not being funny, right? You, if you're putting the ball in towards Jordan Hugel and you're and you're being judged on your assists, that it doesn't seem very fair because Jordan Hugel missed a lot of very clear cut chances. You know, you you are suffering because Jordan's not good enough to put the ball in the back of the blooming net, which doesn't seem very fair. But even so, even if you, you know, even though I don't think goals and assists is a fair narrative, a fair stat to judge a player on, the reality of things with Grady is that he's not underperforming the goals and assists data particularly badly anyway. Yeah, you mentioned that, and I think a good example of assists being kind of unfairly awarded is if you look back to the, the France-England game, and this is probably just because I've watched the World Cup final that international football was in my head, but Chiuameni's goal, he scored from probably about 25 yards, but someone's gifted an assist for just passing it to him from like three yard, a three-yard pass to someone that's 25 yards from goal. It's it's well, definitely it, not. It's, it's like it's like the one that I, I mean, just to go way back even further to 1986. Somebody gets an assist for that Diego Maradona goal against England, where he he picks up the ball in his own half. Yeah, exactly, and that's even more of an extreme example. It's hardly the same as putting it on. Like, was it Wallace that crossed in for Brady's goal against Rotherham that was yeah. three yards from goal? Yeah, I mean, they sh- surely they shouldn't be valued the same as both being assists because. One, you've given the player the ball in their own half, and the other, you've you've given them on a plate from three yards from goal, and you do better to to miss and score. So I think that's where the kind of value of assists is a bit. Um, well, and, and also, th- Pete, there's a difference between crossing the ball towards Jordan Hugel and crossing the ball towards Daryl DK as well, isn't there? Yeah, that's the other thing. You you do rely on on your teammates to finish your chances and give you that assist rather than just being credited because you've played a really good pass into a really good area. And that's that's all you can do to impact the impact the game, if you like. Yeah, I don't think you should be awarded or um, suffer because of the team that you're passing it to or if they have a bit of bad luck. But the point is that Grady has been putting the ball into really good areas, has been getting shots off in really good areas. Um, and he does do a lot of defensive work. I think he's, if you look at defensive duels per 90, Rogic is top, but take him up because of sample size. Um, then it's De- uh, uh, sorry, it's Taylor Garner, Hitman, and then Dean Garner. So to say he doesn't do work um, defensively, I think is a bit of a lazy narrative. Just because he is an exciting winger, I think it's quite easy to um, a bit of a stereotype of bias, maybe that wingers aren't 
wingers that are tricky and good at dribbling don't do defensive work, but it's not the case for, for Grady. He does plenty of defensive work. Um, and I do think he's having a, a good season this so far. And I think he, if I'm right, he's been ill for the last, he's had an illness over the last couple of days, which is yeah, potentially why Phillips has been, yeah, yeah, potentially why Phillips has been starting ahead of him. Maybe Corbin favors Phillips, but we'll see. Um, I'm sure we'll get his chance to start at some point and we'll see how he, he gets on with it. Absolutely. Just before we, uh, a couple more things before we finish, Pete. I mean, first of all, we, we obviously talked uh, a little bit about Sims, uh, of Sunderland uh, on the, on the last pod. And I do quite, uh, you know, we, we've talked about other players over, over the, uh, over the months when we, we talked about Jacob Greaves when we, when we watched Hull. And I do like picking up occasionally on uh, an opposition player, especially if it's somebody that I think would be, a realistic signing for us at some point. And I, I mean, I'm not saying we necessarily need another goalkeeper because obviously Alex Palmer has been very, very good. Um, six clean sheets in 11 games. I'm not, I, I doubt there's many championship goalkeepers who've got more than 50% of their games as clean sheets. So, you know, massive, massive kudos to, uh, to Alex Palmer for that. And obviously we've got Josh Griffiths out on loan uh, at Portsmouth. And at some point we hope he comes back and is a West Bromwich Albion goalkeeper. However, if we were at any point to be drawing up a list of goalkeepers to look at, I have to say I wouldn't be very upset at all if Victor Johansson was the Rotherham goalkeeper was on that list. Swedish, 24 years old. And actually, I was chatting to a Rotherham fan outside the ground um, before the game. And he said to me before the match, because the teams came out and I showed him their team, um, and he looked down the teams and he went, oh, Barlas is the, our best player. He won't be there. It won't be a Rotherham player much longer. He said, the only, uh, he, he said, really, the only other one we've got is the keeper who's unbelievable. And so it kind of highlighted it to me. And then the game starts and like we've, we've had a couple of shots from range where he's done absolutely fantastically. And then the, the save he makes from Brandon Thomas Asante with his legs is a ridiculous stop. He obviously stops the penalty as well. It's not the best penalty in the world, unfortunate with the rebound. And, and the fact that he was highlighted before the game to me as a, as, as a player who is one of their better players. I have to say, Pete, he's, he's immediately jumped onto my radar as if we were looking for a goalkeeper. I can't imagine signing a goalkeeper from Rotherham would cost us a great deal. He's a great age at 24. He looks a decent prospect, doesn't he? Yeah, I'd say so. He impressed me in, in the game at the weekend. Um, made some good saves. Mentioned the one earlier against Brandon Thomas Ante. That was a, a brilliant save. And well, he had a lot of work to do and, and cope with it well. Obviously, you can't scout players off one game. Um, cause they may have a fantastic game that's just not normal from them. But if you look at the data, he's done, he's done pretty well. Um, used the metric last week of goals per 90. So basically, average goalkeeper based on the quality of shots that they faced. And he's at 0.13 per 90. So above what you'd expect from an average goalkeeper. Not quite, not quite good as Palmer. He's point one four five, but much, much better than David Button. And he's actually got the what Y Scout calls the highest number of exits per ninety, and it defines an exit as a goalkeeper actively coming to play a high cross or a long aerial pass with either a claim or a punch of the ball. So, you know, it's always nice to have a goalkeeper that's happy to to leave the line to claim crosses and. Well, certainly something that might resonate with Albion fans because it, it seemed to be a stick that people tried to use to beat Sam Johnston for so many years. Yeah, and I think it does bring 
a sense of calm to the defenders to know that you've got a goalkeeper that is willing to come out and claim crosses. And he's got the highest number of those so-called exits per 90 in the, in the entire league so far this season, which for me is a good thing. As I say, I think it gives defenders confidence and it can help to relieve pressure as well if you've got a goalkeeper that's willing to claim something and maybe lay on the ball for, for 10 seconds um, just to calm things down if you're under a lot of pressure. Pretty much finished this pod where we finished the last one, Pete, because I mean, what 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 I pretty much said to you at the end of the last pod was, can we start looking upwards rather than downwards? I would suggest that we most certainly should be looking upwards. I mean, we're now five points clear of, of, of the relegation zone and and you are looking at some reasonably well very struggling teams down down below us the likes of Rotherham Cardiff Hull Blackpool Wigan Huddersfield who are finding it extremely hard to pick up points so I would like to think we could look up the table but even more so than that I mean Coventry on Wednesday night will be a very very challenging game and nobody nobody denies that because whilst they're 14th in the championship at this moment it's it is a false position because they have played 21 games which is two less than almost everybody else in the in the division barring a handful of teams and as we all know if Coventry were to win just a mere one of those two games win one lose one they would probably jump up five maybe even six places in the table so they're not a 14th place team at the moment if you did the table on points per game Coventry would be much much higher than than where they are currently but from our point of view, if we were to, were to go to Coventry and win, which is by no means a given, you suddenly, you leapfrog six teams in the table. So you move up to 10th, at a minimum of six teams. Uh, that's depending on how other teams get on, of course, in, in, in the, in the games in hand that they have. And you find yourself two points off the playoffs. I mean, it's utterly remarkable how, I mean, first of all, this division is crazy this season. This division is absolute lunacy that this can happen. This, this should, we, we should not, you should not be able to be bottom of the table in like towards the end of October and seven games later be two points off the playoffs. That should not be possible, but it is just the championship in a nutshell. But if we win that Coventry game, Pete, and as I say, not taking that for granted because they're a quality side. But I mean, we're 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 right in this mix. Exactly, we are just a few wins away from pushing for the playoffs, like you say. Um, and if we carry on this form, then we'll have those few wins in a few weeks because, well, at the minute we're winning every game, aren't we? So, well, imagine going um, into Christmas Day two points off the playoffs. If, playoffs. If I'd said, if I had said that to you on the day that Steve Bruce got sacked. You you honestly would have had me committed, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's how fast things can change, especially in this league, especially this year when everything seems to be so tight. And you just, I mean, I don't like going back to it, but you do wonder whether we did keep Bruce for a few games too too many. Um, I think the for me, the Birmingham game looked like it was probably the right time to to let go of him because that was a, a really poor performance. Our fans were obviously really unhappy with him and what seemed like a number of the players as well. And and I think, if I'm right, that was just before the international break. So it seemed like a, a smart time to let him go. But, you know, I wonder where we would be now if, if we had pulled the trigger a few weeks earlier. But the promising thing is that there is plenty of the season left to go. And 
we really aren't that far away from the playoffs. <laughs> well, the promising thing is that we're in the championship where no, nobody, nobody could ever seem to string a run together except for us at the moment. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's just such a, especially this season, it seems to just be such a, a crazy and unpredictable league that anyone can beat anyone and... Well, for me, like, Burnley are the standout team, but be, once you get beyond that, I I don't look at anybody that I see pulling up trees and and romping away in this division. I I think Burnley will end up winning this league comfortably, and I think that's backed up by what we're seeing in you know in in their form. They've they've only lost twice. They've got a plus twenty two goal difference, and they're already six points clear at the top. I think they will be when we come to Easter time. I think they'll be miles clear, but the rest of them. A much of a muchness for me. Yeah, I think I do think Sheffield United are very good as well. They've got some brilliant players in in Die and um, Ollie McBurney's having a very good season as well. Um, so I'd be very surprised if they're not pushing for the automatic spots at least. Um, but yeah, apart from that, it's just a bit of I don't think there's any anyone set in stone for the playoff spots. Um, Blackburn seem to just be. You know, completely random. They've not drawn a game all season. It's thirteen wins and, and ten defeats. So, well, and that's worth saying because that uh, you know that's why we found ourselves in the in the hole that we were in, wasn't it, Pete? It was it, it was the, it was the sheer volume of of draws. I mean, it's uh, it was it was eight draws, and I, I think I think I, I think I'm right in saying since we sacked Bruce, we haven't drawn a game. So all eight draws came under Bruce. Yeah, I think. We lost the we lost against Sheffield United, didn't we? And then we've yeah. gone on on this five game run of wins. So and we and we lost we uh, and we lost two and uh, and won one under Beal. So yeah, we 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 haven't uh, we haven't actually drawn a game since um since we sacked Bruce and not drawing games as long as you're winning some of your, the the other ones. It makes a huge difference because Blackburn have actually, Blackburn have actually lost. There's uh, there's only there's only Reading. Outside of the, the top nineteen teams in this division, who've actually lost more games than Blackburn this season? Yeah, and that's just that's a crazy statistic. Because um, you'd think if you your third place pushing on second place, then you wouldn't be losing too many games. But I suppose that shows the importance of of winning that. You know, you get that you get those three points rather than what you used to get in, in two. It makes a big difference when you are winning games instead of drawing games. Um, Sorry, Pete, just to put that in perspective, Rotherham, who we saw at the weekend and we thought were pretty awful, have lost less games than Blackburn and they're 19th. Yeah, now that, that does surprise me. Um, but again, it's just the, the unpredictable nature of the league, especially as I say, especially this season. Um, but then if you look below that, I mean, I think Watford have kind of gone a bit unnoticed for me, they've climbed up the table under Billich. I think they've sorted the defence out a bit more, um, but are far from unbeatable. Similarly with Norwich, from well, what Nor- I hear, I think what 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 will be the big thing with Norwich is if they get rid of Dean Smith because it just doesn't seem to be working, does it? I was going to say, from what I hear, the, the Norwich fans aren't particularly happy with with Dean Smith, um, and yeah, I mean they're the fifth in the playoff spots, but I suppose they're probably hoping to to bounce straight back to the Premier League. 
Well, I'll, gi- I'll, I'll give you a little tidbit on that. A mate of mine is a, is a, is a big Norwich fan. <laughs> he, t- he texts me because I text him, um, after they lost to Blackburn and said, um, uh, Smith on borrowed time question mark. And he messaged me back going, definitely mate. Um, uh, the, my pal who I sit next to uh, wants Bruce. What do you reckon? <laughs> I won't tell you what I sent back to him, but it wasn't very polite. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, yeah. I definitely wouldn't recommend. I can't imagine there'd be any Norwich fans <laughs> listening to this. The, but... the words I wouldn't wish that upon my enemies spring to mind. I mean, look, yeah. we, we stuck up for Bruce, but blooming heck, I, 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 if I was a hire, a, a hiring uh, person, a chief executive or whatever in, of a championship club, I wouldn't be touching him with a 60 foot pole, especially nah, not a top one. From what we heard after he left, I'd be surprised if Bruce even knows what lead Norwich are in at the minute. Well, so there's that, yeah. But. Um, Looking below them, I mean, QPR, they've just changed their manager as well, haven't they? And his name escapes me, but he did a Critchley. good job. At, Critchley was my Critchley, choice yeah. for the Albion job. Yeah, did a very good job at, at Blackpool. Um, so they could easily carry on with a good form, but it's still a bit of an unknown with a new manager. And it, just below that, it just seems to be quite a few teams that I wouldn't be putting money on them for to finish in the playoffs at the end of the season. But with their position at the minute, they easily could. It's just... I don't think there's any stand. There's not a standout top six at the minute, so um, which is obviously very good news for for us Albion fans. Well, I mean, once once you get below um, QPR and Preston on on thirty four points, you are looking at eight teams separated by two points, which is crazy after uh, after twenty two games. It really it really is twenty two twenty three games. It's 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 crazy to have the middle of the table eight teams covered by two points. Yeah, and that just gives us even more hope of being able to to climb the table. Like you say, if we win the next two, then we're is it the next two or then. Just the next Even one just the next one. I mean, going to going to going to Christmas going to Christmas Day, two points off the playoffs, Pete. I mean, that's that would be huge. It would when you look at where we were six or seven, eight games ago. Then it's a massive turnaround, and I think it would be more representative of the squad that we've actually got. Um, I think when you if you look at the squad compared to where we actually were, we were massively underperforming as a as a club. I'm st- I still stand by the fact that I don't think it's particularly balanced as a squad, but Corbrand seems to be getting the best out of it. Um, he seems to be playing players in the right position, though. I mean, they just—I mean, okay—he's having to make a few square pegs fit in round holes, like Peters at centre half. But generally speaking, he seems to be playing players where they where they best fit. Yeah, and we've got players coming back from injury as well. DK's obviously made well against Sunderland. He made a massive difference. Um, and I think he will throughout the rest of the season. So that's something. And Shemi Ajay as well coming back, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, Been denied Bartley since the since the World the World Cup break ended as well. Yeah, there's that as well. So there's we're in a really positive moment for the performance of the team on the field. Obviously, there's the you know everything that hangs over us from the backroom staff the. Well, more the owners rather than the backroom stuff, but there's that as well. Um, but yeah, there's and I, and it was nice to see the the, the action for Albion uh, um, shine a light protest continuing on the weekend because I think I, I think that was I think it's important that look their 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 tagline is very much um, support the team, not the ownership, and I I completely agree with that because whilst Corbrand's doing an amazing job on the pitch, we can't let it be forgotten that that that, that we appear to have an owner who 
could be risking the future of this football club. Yeah, and that's why I think it's important to mention it, that things definitely aren't perfect just because we are on a five-game winning streak. But there are definitely some positives to look at for our on-field performance and you know getting more players back from injury. So hopefully the form continues and hopefully the, the protest continues on. And what what more perfect note to leave it on than that? And let's just hope the form does continue away at Coventry uh, on Wednesday night. Not not least because I'm I'm braving the cold and and heading over there. And frankly, if I'm going to get frostbite in my toes, I really do want to see a win at the same time. So fingers crossed for that. We will be uh, we'll be back. Um, not quite sure how the how the Christmas period is going to pan out just yet. Uh, whether or not we will be able to squeeze a pod in after the Coventry game, we will try to. But obviously, you know, family commitments and uh, and all and all that sort of thing does uh, does come into it. If we can squeeze one in after the Coventry game, we absolutely will. It might be a slightly quicker pod than than usual. Um, but if not, we will definitely definitely be back after the uh, after the Boxing Day game. But until next time, thanks for listening and up the baggies. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNuggets share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.